Well, good morning. You know, there's just something satisfying in accomplishing simple tasks. You know, digging a hole, painting a wall. Even if you don't particularly like the work, it's normally pretty straightforward. You know, you, you expend the effort, you, you spend your time and energy, and as a result, you've got a painted wall or a hole in the ground, right? <laughs> but you can check that off your list, right? There, there's nothing complicated here. You can look at it, and at the end of the day, you can say, I've accomplished something. But the satisfaction you get from that sort of thing tends to be rather fleeting. Newly painted walls fade, especially if you have kids. <laughs> Holes get filled in, even when you didn't want them to. And really, deep down, you and I, we realize that it's just a wall. It's just a hole. In the scope of eternity, really, those are nothing. You and I, we were made for greater things. We were made for something bigger, and, and we know it. We just know it. That's why so often we're dissatisfied with the, the stuff of this life. It just leaves us empty because we were made, we were created for something more. We were created to do things that matter. Things that matter and that will matter for all of eternity. God made us. He designed us to find fulfillment in himself. Colossians 3.17, Paul tells us this, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So scripture tells us that, that whatever we do, we're to do it all as service to God. Whatever it is that we, we spend our days doing, we're to do it as his agent. And so if you build things, you need to build them as if God has sent you to build them because he has. And if you drive that truck, then you need to drive as if it is God who has sent you on an errand, because he has. Whatever it is that you do, do it as one who has been sent to do it by God Almighty. I guess that's going to mean that we work hard because we're, we're working for the Lord. I guess that's gonna mean that we're, gonna, we're going to seek with everything we have to do the best job that we can, whether or not anyone ever knows that we've done our best. But more than anything, more than anything, what this is going to mean is that you and I, as we do whatever it is that God has given us to do, we're going to love people while we do it. You see, the best way that we can glorify God is by representing him to the people of this world. 
by being his hands and feet in service of them, by being his ambassadors, by reaching them with his message. See, representing God to men means that we are going to be telling them about his great, great love for them. It means that we're going to be telling them that he has loved them enough to die in their place, to, to pay for their sin. The greatest meaning in our work isn't found in what we produce. The greatest meaning in our work is found in the people we serve, in the coworkers we invest in, the customers we impact, the boss or the employees that we minister to. Whatever it is that we make or sell or produce in our work, understand this, it's temporal. It's temporary. It won't last beyond this world. But the people, the people that we, that we work with and for and around, each and every last one of them is an eternal being. So it makes sense that no matter what your job is, if you belong to Christ, your main objective is to be God's agent in those people's lives. That means that how we interact with people, it matters. It means that it's not okay to, to just do your job and not care about the people. That doesn't work for those who are followers of Christ because from God's perspective, the people are really the thing that matters. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> in every job, it, it's really, it's the people that are the hardest part, right? <laughs> I mean, and some people are just really good at being difficult. It's their forte. It's like it's what they were born to be and to do. And that's why it can be so tempting to, to just bury your head and to do your work, but ignore the people, especially the really challenging ones. But for you and I, that's not an option. We don't get to do that. People are what we're here for. You know, you and I, we could, or at least me, maybe I shouldn't speak for you, I could really stand to learn a thing or two from Jesus when it comes to working with hard people, dealing with difficult people. Because you see, Jesus has a lot of experience with dealing with difficult people, you know, people like you and me. That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at our passage in Luke chapter 14. So grab your Bible. I encourage you, bring your Bible. Bring your actual Bible. I mean, if you got a phone, there's no, there's no shame this morning, but bring an actual Bible and, and, and bring your Bible that you read so you can mark in it, so you can be familiar with it. Well, grab your Bible. That sermon was free. <laughs> it was short, you know, it's, that's Okay. Luke 14, and with stand, I'll read, you follow along, you know the drill. Luke 14, beginning in verse one, here's what Luke writes. One Sabbath, when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely 
There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that that we would hear what it is that Jesus says. God, that we would see the way he responded to the difficult people. And Lord, that we would learn, that we would embrace we would choose not to follow the way of our flesh, but the way of your spirit, that we might represent you, not only to the pleasant and pleasing people in our lives, but to those who are difficult. Work, work in this time, Lord. Convict, encourage, strengthen, equip. Give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All through the Gospels, we we get to watch Jesus interacting with the religious leaders, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. I mean, those guys, they are always harassing Jesus. They're always criticizing him. They're always finding fault with Jesus' disciples. Truly, they stood for everything that Jesus opposed. I mean, these guys, they were all about legalism, but Jesus was about grace. They were all about condemnation. Jesus was all about redemption. They were all about assigning guilt. Jesus was all about granting forgiveness. Even worse, these guys misrepresented God. Their ways drove people away from the Lord. And yet, rather surprisingly, Jesus continues to interact with them. He takes every opportunity that he's given to speak truth to them. Time after time, even though they continue to reject him. And yet, he never gives up. He never quit opening the door to them. Maybe that's why, at the end of the story, we see Pharisees like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus among those who are calling themselves followers of Jesus. Maybe that's why we see in Acts chapter six, there in verse seven, that many of the priests had also become followers of Jesus. Well, let's take a look at how Jesus deals with these difficult Pharisees. Verse one, on the Sabbath, um, he went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees and they were watching him closely. So remember, Jesus has had many, many conflicts with the religious leaders and 
And many of those conflicts were, were over the Pharisees' Sabbath rules, rules that, that this religious group had added to God's law and that they expected everyone to obey just as if it was God's law. And yet, despite these repeated conflicts, this is the third time that Jesus accepts an invitation to spend an evening eating and talking with these religious leaders. You or I might, might consider it a, a waste of time. Jesus didn't. Aren't you glad that he didn't give up on, on the hard-hearted? <laughs> I'm sure glad he didn't give up on me. I think I probably would have been considered a waste of time. Here's the first thing I think that we need to learn. Don't give up. Never write someone off. Never write someone off. Never quit hoping. Paul puts it in, in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, that does not mean that that every last person that we faithfully share with it, eventually they'll just buckle and come to Christ. Some won't. But if we persevere, we'll be found faithful. Isn't that what we want? And who knows? That, that stubborn friend, that recalcitrant relative, they may yet turn to Christ. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19, 26, he says, with man, this is impossible. Well, with man, it's impossible for anyone to come to faith. And yet he says, but with God, all things are possible. Guys, we've got to remember, we've got to remember that there isn't anyone who is beyond the reach of God's Holy Spirit. No one. Oh, there may come times when we need to change our tactics, but we can't give up. We can't give up hope. Our relationship with people might need to change, but we don't write them off. Jesus had every reason to cut off these religious leaders. I mean, think about this. It would have been reasonable for him to no longer spend time with them. After all, the religious leaders had been plotting against him from the very beginning. But you know what? You can't love someone that you don't spend time with. And you can't love someone that you avoid. It just doesn't work like that. So what do we do? Well, we do what Jesus did. We keep speaking truth. We keep loving with the love of Christ. And by the way, this isn't just about how we, how we reach out to others who are outside the faith. This is also exactly how we're supposed to be with each other. It isn't just the unsaved that we're to love without giving up. As followers of Christ, we are to love each other the way that Christ has loved us, selflessly, 
doggedly, deeply. I mean, think about this. Christ loved us to his own death. John 13, 34, Jesus tells us, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. I know this, Jesus has been so incredibly patient with me. He has loved me both when I have loved him and when I have failed him. He has loved me enough to be tender with me and to be blunt with me. And he always, he always wants and he always pursues not that which is easiest, not that which is most pleasant, but that which is best for me. And that's what our love for each other is supposed to look like. Now, if you think you can do that, you're stinking delusional. <laughs> there is no way you're going to be able to do that. It, it, well, the only way that we can love like that is if we allow the Lord to love us thoroughly, so thoroughly, that his love overflows us and flows through us to others, right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. That's our only hope. That's our only hope. John tells us there, we love because he first loved us. Really, what, what's going on there is that we are letting him love others through us. That, that's why Jesus kept having dinner with the Pharisees, to love them. And there they are at dinner. Look at verse 2. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. So edema, uh, the medical term for this condition, it honestly is just not all that terribly serious. It, it is not often chronic, and it usually resolves itself on its own. I point this out only to underscore the fact that Jesus did not have to heal this guy. He didn't have to. In fact, he could have healed him the next day or the day after that, or he could have just left him alone. But he didn't. He didn't. Jesus healed him then and there. And here's why. Look at verse 3. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, it's odd, isn't it, that Luke says here in response because no one said anything. <laughs> in response to what, Luke? Exactly what is Jesus responding to? Well, he's responding to the situation. He's responding to the situation that it's the Sabbath, that he's with a bunch of Pharisees, and that there's a man whose suffering could be decreased. 
Now, in the past, the, the Pharisees had complained when Jesus had healed someone on the Sabbath, not because they had rules against it. I mean, there were no rules about miraculous healings. They had rules about all sorts of things. They had rules about giving medicine on the Sabbath. Sometimes that was allowed, sometimes it wasn't. But you see, they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus, and, and so they didn't like anything that he did. And so despite their lack of a divine command or even of a religious rule, they condemned Jesus for healing and they condemned the people for being healed. That seems kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet, I think you and I, we can be guilty of much the same thing. We see what people do through the lens of how well we like them. Our favorites, they can do no wrong or they at least get the benefit of the doubt. Certain others, they can't do anything right. It really doesn't matter what they do, we'll find something wrong with it. You and I, we should remember that God doesn't care for partiality. He doesn't like injustice. He wants honest scales both in commerce and in how we deal with each other. I love what the Lord says in Zechariah 7. There through the prophet Zechariah, he says this, the Lord of armies says this, make fair decisions. Come on, let's just treat them the same. The people we like, the people that we don't find it very easy to like. He says, show faithful love and compassion to one another. Be fair, show love, show compassion. Man, if we were to just simply commit to that, think how radically it would transform our families church, our community. So Jesus asks, he, he asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And verse four, they keep silent. Why would they keep silent? Well, because there was nothing in God's law about healing on the Sabbath, absolutely nothing. In fact, the, uh, the law only gives a, a rather general command there in Exodus 20. Uh, there the Lord God commands this. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. So God he required of his people, of the Jews, to keep the seventh day, Saturday, holy. To do their work the other six days of the work week, but not on that day. And, and the Pharisees, the Pharisees seeking to try to define that more, they had made Sabbath rules that expanded upon what God had said. They made all sorts of rules, covering everything from picking your nose, which on the Sabbath was a no-no, 
to talking about just how far it was you were allowed to walk. I love watching her translate picking your nose. It makes me want to say picking your nose over and over again, but that would be juvenile, so I'm not going there. <laughs> Who knows what she's really saying about me at this point, but the one thing they didn't have a rule about was supernatural healing. So consequently, they didn't know how to answer. So Jesus, verse four, took the man, healed him and sent him away. Now, I don't know if this guy was planted there by the Pharisees, if he had been invited by Jesus or if he just wandered into this mess all on his own. Regardless, Jesus sees him. Jesus has compassion for him. And Jesus healed him. He healed him and then he spared him the drama by sending him home before the Pharisees could get after him for, for daring to be healed on the Sabbath, like he had any choice in it. Jesus was gracious to that man, but I, I wanna point out something else. He was gracious to the Pharisees too. Look at what Jesus says next. He's at verse five, and then he said to them, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Jesus doesn't lay into them about being jerks. He, he basically says, listen, I know you're decent people. I know that you know what to do. If someone falls into a well, I know that I know you'd help your child if they were in danger, even on a Sabbath. You'd even help your cow. You know what's right. So Jesus says, can't you see? Can't you see what's right here? You can, but will you? Sadly, what we read in verse six betrays that they were unwilling to let go of their opposition toward Jesus. Luke tells us they could find no answer. The answers weren't that hard to find. But they had no answer. Oh, I'm sure they knew what was right. In fact, I think that's why they had no answer. They knew what was right, so they couldn't say that Jesus had done wrong. They, they knew that it could not be wrong to heal someone on the Sabbath. But they were more loyal to their rules to their position, to their system, to their perspective than they were to doing what was right. And so they would not say that Jesus was right. That left them with no answer. Here's what I find most amazing in this whole thing. Even then, Jesus didn't write them off. Even then. Hey, we're going to see in the, in the coming weeks that Jesus stays for the rest of the dinner party. He gives them his time and his effort and his heart. He speaks truth to them as long as they will listen. He doesn't give up. He doesn't write them off. It is a very good thing 
for you and for me to be reminded of just how patient and how kind and how gracious Jesus has been with us. It's good to remember that, isn't it? And it's good for us to be reminded that what God wants from us isn't perfect obedience to a conglomeration of rules and, and regulations, but rather what he wants for us are lives that are ruled by an overwhelming love for him. Lives that, that overflow with his graciousness, with his gracious love to those all around us. That his graciousness towards us, his love for us, that it overflows us and floods out from us that we might be just overwhelmingly, ridiculously gracious and loving with those that we're near. And it's good for us to be reminded, especially when we're dealing with difficult people, that we're not to give up. We're not to quit. Hey, Jesus didn't quit on us. And like Jesus, we need to keep giving them opportunity. Even when we don't want to. We've got to give them opportunity to choose, to respond, to grow. You've not arrived yet, have you? I know I haven't. I know there are a lot of moments where I think, man, I really need to grow up soon. I need to give that grace to others around me as well. And like Jesus, I need to look for the good to affirm even when it's tiny, even when like Jesus, it's like, okay, you guys can't get past healing this guy on the Sabbath, but you'd at least help your son, no? A cow, something? You, you, there's some good here to find to encourage them in. And certainly we need to remember that when God's involved, Anything can happen because nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you you did not give up on us. And Father, I pray that we would become so flooded, so overwhelmed, so absolutely inundated with your grace your graciousness, your love for us, your mercy, your long-suffering, that that would become our character as we interact with those around us. God, I pray that as your ambassadors, as your representatives here, we would represent you well. And we would offer your love and your kindness to a world that so desperately needs it. 
Overwhelm us with it, Lord. Flood us with it. We might be able to share it with others. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.